0: Thanks for joining us for our second um, Market Lane podcast where um, we're going to talk about Kenyan coffee. We've got our first Kenyan um, study on the bar on this weekend. Um, it's called Gamba, and we're very excited to, to have it in. So I've got Mila um, from MarketLane and Aylin from Melbourne Coffee Merchants. Hello.
1: Hi. Hello.
0: Um, and yeah, we're just going to talk um, a little bit about Kenyan coffee in general and um, talk about Gamba a little bit, um, but the way that we're buying coffee from Kenya is quite different this year. We've, we bought from um, a number of small farms, which is uh, different to the way that we bought in the past, and we're all really excited about it. Um, so we'll talk about some of the benefits or some of the, um, um, the challenges that um, buying from Kenya has had in the past and um, why, hopefully, um, this means that uh, it will be... Uh, slightly different, Alan. Why um, Why are Kenyan coffees um, so special? What What makes Kenyan coffees special to you?
2: Um, I think first and foremost, people love them because of the flavour. It's very distinct, um, and typically they're very high quality. They've been well processed, um, and they're reliably good. Uh, it's also Kenya's a pretty small producing country, so it doesn't produce a lot of coffee. So it's in very high demand. Um, and yeah it just tastes really good there's a couple of different reasons for that where it's grown how it's processed the varieties that we get out of kenya
0: Mm -hmm. and they're quite strong flavors
2: yeah really distinct flavors so they're easily recognizable
0: how's coffee in kenya normally produced like in terms of cooperatives or private farms or for the most part yeah
2: so for the most part when we're buying from kenya we're buying from co-ops it would be small farmers uh, with very little land they're using that land um, for different crops and coffee is their cash crop so that's the man would manage the coffee and they're taking the cherry to a cooperative where it is processed at a centralized uh, location. There's a lot of good oversight on the processing at those cooperatives so there's a lot of management of the ripeness of the cherry going through and then the actual processing itself and then the coffee is sold as a bulk lot from that cooperative on a particular day, so a day lot from that co-op.
0: And Sukafina, they, they're they starting to work a little bit differently in, in Kenya. They have a company called Kenya Coff. Yeah. And, well, they have a few different arms, right? They have the marketing arm and the agronomy arm. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about
2: that? <laughs> yeah. So... Um, The chain of custody is quite unique in Kenya. Farmers own the coffee right up until the point that it's sold. Uh, And there are different people who are kind of responsible or have custody of that coffee along the production chain. So the farmer grows the coffee. It then usually goes to a cooperative and the cooperative would hire a marketing agent who sells the coffee on their behalf. So they never own the coffee. They work on behalf of the farmer and they would sell it to a trader either directly or via the auction system. And that trader is the person who sells the coffee to the buyer, which in this case is MCM, and then we sell it on to roasters. So the marketing agent is a really important role in that production chain. They, their customer is the farmer, so they have to make themselves appealing to the farmer somehow. So Kenya Kenyakov is a trader. And then their marketing agent that they work exclusively with is Sucustainability. And Sucustainability is making themselves appealing to small individual farmers by prioritizing those customers, promising that they can get the coffee milled as individual lots and promising that they can find a market for that so they can find someone to sell those small individual lots to mm-hmm. so some farmers are opting out of the cooperative system they're processing their cherry on their own land and they really need a marketing agent like zoo sustainability to actually be able to sell their coffee mm-hmm. because the lots are too small to sell at auction
0: yeah so these farms are small like five hectares or even Less, smaller.
2: yes yeah. nice. some of the ones that we saw were like one hectare
0: smaller
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, Mm. we also saw a few small farms with Jason back in November Mm -hmm. um, where they, you could almost see the whole farm from the gate and
2: and see the few drying tables that they have and the small um, popping depolper. The farms Mm. do need to be of a certain size to have Mm. their own washing station Mm. on the land, but it's still pretty small.
0: Mm -hmm. I thought we'd talk about the geography of Kenya a little bit because we, when we were there, Miller, we we didn't drive for very far outside of Nairobi. Mm-hmm. We drove for maybe an hour and a half, two hours to get to the um, coffee fields. Mm. And what was it like?
1: I <laughs> was I was very surprised, actually, by that very fact that we did not have to travel far at all, thinking that we had just been in Ethiopia previously where we had to go fly out of Addis to be able to reach any of the coffee-producing areas. But this time, there's literally coffee growing almost in Nairobi, one could say, or right in the border of Nairobi in kind of all directions. And Nairobi itself is really high in altitude. It's almost 2,000 meters above sea level, the city. So that was also quite interesting. I'd never really thought about that. But that, of course, helps with the coffee production, um, helps with growing the plants slower and producing more complex sugars and such. But yeah, we I think everything that we, everywhere that we visited was within half an hour of Nairobi, just on the northern side kind of of the city.
0: Yeah, I asked about one of my favorite farms from way back when, Gethenbwini Estate, and um, it had turned into a housing estate. Yeah,
1: this is one of the Kenyan um, kind of problems in the coffee producing, is that the Nairobi area is growing so quickly that it's acquiring a lot of the land Mm. that used to be used for
2: farming um, of coffee, and now... Trees are being cut. um, We drove through several areas where they were like, this used to all be coffee farms and now it's real estate development. Mm -hmm. It's a big threat to coffee production Mm. in Kenya.
0: And the whole lot, so Nairobi and most of the coffee we buy, that's all sitting at the foot of uh, Mount Kenya. Mm -hmm. And Mount Kenya, I haven't been to Mount Kenya. But apparently it's beautiful. We talked a lot about the fishing up there and there's Mm. a lot of nature reserve, national park. Yeah. Yeah.
1: In Kenya, I always, because all the coffee I've ever had from Kenya before, I think, has always come through a co-op, like we've talked about. And for me, it was interesting as we were driving on the outskirts of Nairobi, there were some large estates, so like some private, large, large farms. There were, of course, there's lots of cooperatives. And then again, there were those small producers, which again, I didn't really know much about until we started visiting them yeah. and and, um, and it's really exciting to have one of those small yeah. farmer coffees available now in the form of Gumba.
2: Yeah, it's really exciting. So a lot of the um, small farmers are opting out of the co-op system mm. because they think that their coffee is of better quality and that they can get higher prices for it. And so Gumba's a really good example of that because when we visited that farm, it's meticulously kept. It's all a single variety. It was one of the neatest nicest healthiest coffee farms i've ever seen um, and you could tell that there was this incredible sense of pride um, in the farming practices that were being used we met the farms manager william the owner was not there that day
0: he's on the postcard william's red on hat. the postcard mm-hmm. yep with yep. The red
2: hat he dressed up for us mm-hmm. spoke english with a very thick accent so we had some nice chats Uh, He was really lovely and very passionate. He himself has been working in coffee for like 50 years, 40 or 50 years, and has his own little coffee farm. And he actually delivers his cherry to the local cooperative, Kamwangi, which I think you guys also have, Mm -hmm. manages Gumba as a visual farm or individual small estate that is selling their coffee independently. Really, you can see why it's much more than just a cash crop on that farm. It's like something that they're Hmm. super proud of.
0: Sorry, you may said they have a mill on, they have a wet mill on.
2: They have a wet mill, mm-hmm. yeah. So in Kenya, it's called a factory.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And you, yeah, your farm does have to be of a certain size to have your own factory. But if you meet those regulations, then you can process your cherry on your own land and dry it on your own land. And then you would be selling it uh, as parchment. Mm-hmm. Or, sorry, you would be ha- getting a marketing agent to mm-hmm. sell it on your behalf as parchment. Yep. Um, and the marketing agent would organise the milling. We first tasted Gumba at the mill, at the dry mill. And uh, it's a coffee that Toshi and I were really proud of because the first cupping that we did in Kenya was at uh, Bora dry mill, which is the mill that Suka Sustainability uses. And it was just their QC cupping and we found a couple of coffees that we were pretty excited by and Gumba was one of them. I think we both scored it like 87 but then um, we asked to re-cup it at the Kenyakov QC lab which has much better cupping practices and we were like blown away by the quality on the table we both scored it above 90 on that first pass really excited and proud of ourselves for having found it at the mill <laughs> and kind of pulled it out of uh, that those circumstances where the cupping uh, processes weren't that good and the coffees were not as great as we tasted later on so we really picked it out early on, and we were really excited about it.
0: Mm, cool. And what is it? Um, what we're talking about the taste? What does it taste like? Gambra itself?
2: I would say that it's just an incredibly complex coffee. So there's a lot of different layers to what's going on, um, and then it's very la- oh, Sorry, it's very um, the flavors in the cup are very distinct. So it's not just like oh stone fruit. Like there's a strong like apricot characteristic. For us, we found a lot of tropical notes, a lot of floral complexity, a really bright, vibrant acidity. It cools beautifully, so taste it when it's cool, it becomes a lot more floral. Um, And the flavours were just very intense and very abundant, which really made it stand out. Mm -hmm. I've had the luxury of tasting this coffee on the
1: cupping table a couple of weeks ago and I thought it was just those... All of that complexity, together with the really typical Kenyan flavours of blackcurrant, mm. um, almost a little bit of like beautiful tomato. Even though we don't really maybe want to market a coffee to a customer with the flavour not of tomato, but mm. a beautiful yeah, sparkling um, raspberry-like almost yeah flavours mm. yeah. to it. Raspberry is a
2: good mm. descriptor.
0: Um, so it's on our retail counter with um, at the moment Pedro Flores, uh, Sir Um, And then our espressos, El Tablon and Progresso Natural. But yeah, how would you, I mean, if someone, um, how would you describe it to someone? I guess just in that way or...
1: Yeah, probably in that way. And like, I I always think of our coffees thinking how the current offering, how they all kind of um, stand out to each other. So comparing them to each other and probably this Kenyan is the... most juicy out of them all at the moment um, and will be probably a little bit divisive as well in terms of how customers perceive it. Some people will really like it and others probably won't enjoy that acidity of the coffee that um, I really love myself. I would probably just describe it as a really juicy, complex, beautiful black coffee. Mm. If you have a customer after a milky coffee, I would definitely maybe stir towards the Bolivian Brazilian options rather than this one because I think this one is a real standout mm.
0: on yep. its own Great, <clears throat> and the price we're, we're selling at $25 a bag and $7.50 a cup um, it's expensive but it re- I think it fairly reflects the, the quality and uh, the work that goes into it
2: Yeah, I think that um, <laughs> that price does reflect the quality but it also reflects the fact that Kenyan coffees are usually higher priced than other coffees and there's a couple of different reasons why. The Kenya government is fairly involved in the coffee industry in Kenya and they regulate the price um, via the auction system. So I do think that the price reflects the incredible quality of this coffee but it also reflects the fact that Kenyan coffees tend to be more expensive as well. Partly because the volumes coming out of Kenya are quite low and the quality is so high and so distinct that there's a lot of demand for those coffees they can afford to keep prices higher but also just because of the way that coffee is bought and sold in Kenya most of the coffee there is sold through a centralized auction system and that auction system really creates a correlation between quality and price so coffees are cupped and sampled before they're put through the auction and traders are bidding higher prices for better qualities so you see some really high prices There's also a lot of transparency around those prices. That is the price that is going to the farmer. So the farmer understands the pricing of their coffee and can demand higher prices for better quality. And you see that happening. And um, as a result, you get these pretty high prices internationally. Uh, Kenyan coffee farmers will tell you that they're still not high enough. (laughs) And the other thing to consider is that cost of production is quite high in Kenya. They have um, some issues with leaf rust, which, those beautiful varieties SL 28 and SL 34 are not very rust resistant. so they have to manage for that they have to control for that and then um, they also have a coffee berry disease which they also have to control for yeah. so there's a lot of inputs that go into growing Kenyan coffee, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. coffee in Kenya. Mm. How much coffee did Market Lane buy from Kenya this year?
0: We bought maybe five different lots. Um, we have coffee from kenya we should have coffee from kenya basically through the whole year so from, from okay. now all the way through until um may 2020 we should have at least one kenyan on the menu for the whole time so we've got lots of it
2: yeah that's exciting we were really excited that you guys took so much i'm looking forward to tasting it
0: thank you very much aylan thank you very much miller hope everyone enjoyed the podcast today don't forget to like and subscribe
1: <laughs> thank you thank you